0: Please turn with me in your Bibles or on your device or if you don't have either one handy the scripture will also be on the screen but we are going to be today in Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7 Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And last week we started this new series covering the first 3 chapters of the book of Revelation which we are calling the series Love Jesus. The way that we close a personal letter in our culture is with a closing. We write sincerely or cordially or warmly or affectionately or love. And then we sign our name. And so we've named this series Love Jesus as the signature of the one who dictated these letters to seven local churches and through them the whole church in all times and all places, including us. From the Lord Jesus himself. Far from leaving us fearful and confused, this book of Revelation is meant to give us comfort and confidence and courage because it is a revelation of Jesus by Jesus. This book reminds us who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, particularly what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus will do in the future. He is the eternal Son of the Father, the faithful witness to God's truth who loved us and freed us from our sins by His blood through His atoning and substitutionary death on the cross. He is the risen King who rules and reigns over and in and through His church right now even as we live in the midst of a fallen world, even as we live in the midst of tribulation. And he is the one who will come again to redeem all creation and make all things new. A personal letter is a powerful thing. It means something that someone thought enough of you to sit down and write out their thoughts to you, to buy the 55 cent stamp and take it to the mailbox or to the post office. A letter means a lot and I'm personally convicted that I should be writing more of them. It's a simple way for us to express love to someone else. Three and a half of the four years that uh, Shannon and I dated, we were long distance. I was in college in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and she was in college at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. We communicated by various means because there were four hours and lots of I-40 between us. We communicated through phone calls nearly every day. We communicated through emails, and we're going to date ourselves in telling you this a little bit, but we communicated often through AOL Instant Messenger. And I looked forward to any contact from Shannon, but there was something tangibly special about when I would go to the mail room at my college with my little key and open my little box, and inside there would be an envelope with her name in the upper left-hand corner and my name there in the middle. I knew that it was a letter from Shannon, and though we had probably already talked about by phone anything that was going to be in that letter, the very fact of a letter spoke love to me and communicated and cultivated love in me. What a thing it is for us to have and to read and to reread letters from our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. From our risen king who rules and reigns at the father's right hand. From the lover of our souls who dictates these letters to be delivered to his beloved, his bride, his body, the church. As we read, we should hear this tender refrain at the end of each letter. Love, Jesus. But we should also pray that these letters would be used by the Spirit to fan in the flame in our hearts that we might love Jesus all the more. This first letter is addressed to the angel and That word means messenger, so just as much as it could be a heavenly being who is representative of the church, it could also be uh, the one who's going to take this letter to the church and read it aloud to the church. It could possibly be the pastor of the church, but it's addressed to the angel, the messenger of the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was not the the capital city of this Roman province called Asia, which is in modern-day Turkey, but it was the most famous and probably the most important city. The trade route from the Mediterranean Sea and from cities on the Euphrates River terminated in Ephesus. And it was a beautiful city with many Greek and Roman mystery cults and religions and therefore many temples to all the mythical gods. The temple of Artemis, the Greek goddess of the hunt and the moon, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The Apostle Paul planted a church, uh, planted this church on what we know as his second missionary journey. And he stayed there for three years. At one point in his ministry, Paul's public preaching so upset worshipers of Artemis and especially uh, the manufacturers who made shrines and idols to Artemis because he was going to be affecting uh, their income that they rioted in the city and shouted Paul down for hours repeating over and over, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This was a church in a pagan city that was hostile to the gospel of Jesus A city filled with religiosity and immorality. A city of economic prosperity and materialism. And Jesus sends them a letter. So let's look together at Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning to understand and apply His word. O Lord our God, this morning we humbly ask that You would give us ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to the churches, even what Your Spirit is saying to our church. And we ask You this in the strong name of Jesus, Amen. Before I was in ministry, I was a public high school English teacher. And one of my tasks with my freshman students was to teach them how to compose letters of different kinds and teaching them the structure of the different kinds of letters. A personal letter, for instance, has a heading, has the opening salutation, has the body of the letter, and then it has a closing salutation with a signature. There is a structure to these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 as well. And it varies slightly, but basically it stays completely the same across all seven letters. Each letter starts with an attribution, a naming of the one who is dictating the letter. Then there is an affirmation, a reminder that Jesus knows and sees the good in this particular church. This is then followed by an accusation. Jesus also knows and sees that they aren't perfect, and he calls out their sin. Then Jesus gives an answer, a way to deal with their sin and grow in grace. Then he gives them an an admonition, a warning of what will happen if they do not follow his answer. And lastly, Jesus communicates assurance what the one who conquers, the one who endures to the end will receive. Attribution, affirmation, accusation, answer, admonition, and assurance. I want to give you an assignment as we study these letters. Each one is going to have very relevant truth and application for us. But as we go along, I want you to consider which one is most applicable to you personally and which one is most applicable to us as Back Creek Church. I'll remind you, and when we're done with this series, I'd love to know which of these letters you think most applies to us as a church and why you think so. Now let's get into this letter to the church in Ephesus. First, we have the attribution in verse one. To the angel, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. Well, this is a reference to John's vision of the risen Christ and all of his glory that we find in the previous chapter. The Lord is clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head are white like wool, like snow. His eyes are a flame of fire. His feet are burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. His voice is like the roar of many waters. A two-edged sword is protruding from his mouth and his face is shining like the sun in full strength. This is our ruling and reigning king. In his right hand, he holds seven stars and he is in the midst of, he walks among seven lampstands. He tells John that the stars represent the angels of the seven churches and the lampstands represent the churches themselves. Remember from last week that the number seven is significant in biblical apocalyptic literature, especially in the book of Revelation. It refers to perfection, to completeness, to wholeness. So these seven real historical churches represent not only themselves, but also the whole universal apostolic and Catholic church. All churches in all times and all places who have believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And here's what Jesus is telling his church in the attribution. I am present with you and I hold you in my righteous right hand. This reminds me of Jesus' precious promises that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That he will not leave us as orphans, but will come to us by his spirit. It reminds me that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And I'm also reminded of Christ's words in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, I don't have to remind you of this, but our world is broken and fallen and divided and sinful and chaotic and Even apart from those things which are always true, we are in a season of struggle as individuals and as a church as we deal with COVID-19. And in the midst of our lives individually and our lives together as a church, Jesus offers us this comfort. His presence and His power as the risen King and ruler of the kings of the earth. He holds us and He walks among us. Next, Jesus gives the Ephesian church an affirmation. Affirmation. The Ephesian church is a good church. It's the kind of church that we want to be in many ways. And we see this in Jesus' threefold affirmation. They are a church that works for the Lord. Verse 2, Jesus says through John, I know your works, your toil. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that faith without works is dead, that we show our faith by our works. The Ephesian church worked for the Lord. They ministered faithfully in word and deed to their community and it was not easy. It was filled with sacrifice. The word toil here in the Greek means exertion. It means to tire oneself out. It means to labor unto exhaustion. Jesus' affirms the works, the full engagement of the Ephesian believers. They're also a church that waits on the Lord. Verse 2 again, I know your patient endurance. Verse 3, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This church was facing opposition from outsiders of the church, but also from those inside the church, but they did not give up. They stayed on mission despite the challenges that they faced. And of course, we are facing challenges right now from without and from within when there is such a diversity of opinion among all of us about how it is that we are going to deal with the pandemic and the strategies we need to use to keep one another safe. And there's legitimate weariness among us due to this pandemic. But I am reminded of Paul's words in Galatians 6:9: "Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up." And also Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Jesus affirms the patient endurance of the Ephesian church as they work and wait for the Lord. Lastly, we see here that they are a church that is wise in the Lord. Verse 2 says, You cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. This church knows the scriptures, and they know the apostolic teaching. They know what they believe, and they know why they believe it. They are walking in step with the Spirit and they are discerning and they put that godly wisdom to work by rejecting evil works and false teaching. When they witnessed behavior or heard teaching, they evaluated it against God's word. If it was found to be evil or false, They rejected it. We see that in verse 6 where Jesus says, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This was a group in the church that we don't know too much about, but they claimed to be Christians. But they had this Gnostic dualism where they said that uh, the spiritual was important. And that we had to be righteous spiritually, but the flesh didn't matter at all. So you could do whatever acts of immorality you wanted to do with your body, which of course is a problem because the New Testament tells us that whether by life or by death, we are to honor the Lord with our bodies. Body and soul are what make us human beings. We owe to the Lord our souls and our minds and our hearts, our strength and our bodies. The proliferation and accessibility of media in our day means that we have both more information and more disinformation than ever before. Whether news items or Bible teachers, we are called to exercise this same biblical wisdom that Jesus affirms in the Ephesian church. There's so much that is good about this local church, and yet Jesus levels a serious accusation. Attribution. Attribution. Affirmation, then accusation. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. The Ephesian church was a good church, believing and doing good things. But there was a problem. They were not motivated in their worship and in their work by love. The truth is, so often we do what we do because it's what we're supposed to do. We know that it's the right thing to do. We feel obligated or even convicted to do it. We feel guilty if we don't do it, so we do it. We're motivated by obligation or expectation or guilt or shame or perhaps the benefit that we might receive. We hear all the time, do good and you will feel good. But don't miss this. We must still do what is right, even if our motivations are not right. Jesus commends and affirms the good works done by the Ephesian believers. But here is the central idea in this letter and what I really want us to hold on to today. Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants us, in the words of Ruth chose Simons, to love him above all else and with everything we've got. When Jesus summarizes the whole Old Testament law full of commandments about good works that we are to do and sinful works that we are to refrain from, he speaks to the heart. He says the first and greatest commandment is to love God the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and a second is like it love your neighbor as yourself jesus wants our hearts and what i would say to us as a church back creek we can have a glorious history we can have incredible ministry we can have good leadership sweet fellowship, beautiful worship, compelling sermons, a wonderful campus with a newly resurfaced parking lot and a renovated sanctuary, a sterling reputation in our community. But are we motivated and are we animated as individuals and as a church by love for Jesus and love for one another, love for our neighbors and love for the nation's? Jesus does not merely want our works. He wants our hearts. Do you love Jesus? How do we grow in our love for Jesus and let that drive everything that we are and everything that we do? Well, in this letter, Jesus gives us his answer. Attribution, affirmation, accusation, And now, answer. Jesus' answer has three parts. First, he says, remember from where you have fallen. An important part of remembering from where we have fallen is remembering where we once were in our relationship with Christ. And what that requires us to do is remember when we discovered who he is and what he did for us. Remember when you came face to face with your own sin? Remember when you realized that you were a rebel who had turned away from God and gone your own way, that you were fully deserving of physical death and eternal hell, separation from the love and goodness of God forever because of your sin against him, that you provoked him to his face every day and deserved his just wrath and displeasure. Do you remember when you came face to face with the gravity and the reality and the pervasiveness and the horror of your sin, but the Lord reached down and lifted up your eyes so that you looked at Jesus and you saw in Him a perfect, sufficient, loving Savior Do you remember how the good news struck you that Jesus had done for you what you could never do for yourself? That his righteousness could be yours? That your sin could be imputed to him on the cross so that you will never face its condemnation? That he welcomes you into his family? That he gives you eternal life? That he loves you and calls you by name? Do you remember the joy of sins forgiven? Do you remember the lifting of your head? Do you remember the burden rolling off of your shoulders? Do you remember peace with God? When we remember who Jesus is, when we remember that he owed us nothing and gave us everything, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, oh, it stirs up in us the kind of love that we had for him at first. And Jesus says, remember. The second part is to repent. That remembering from where we have fallen, from where we have lost our love for the Lord or it has become dull and cold, we are to turn away. We are to change direction from our lovelessness, from our lukewarmness toward Jesus. And the third part is to renew, to do the works that we did at first to renew our good works. The good works that the Ephesian church was doing right then needed to be renewed with the love that had moved them first. And the same is true of us. Remember who Christ is and what he has done for you and what it felt like when you first heard and responded in faith to the good news. Repent. Confess to the Lord. Be open about how you haven't loved him as you ought and ask him to light again the flame in your heart of love for God and renew the works that you are probably already doing but with a new motivation, a new animating factor, a renewed love for Christ. Attribution, affirmation, accusation, answer now, admonition. Verse 5, the second part. If not, if you will not remember, if you will not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. A church without love for Jesus, without love for one another, without love for their neighbors, and without love for the nations will be judged. It will be given over to her lovelessness and will cease, ultimately, to be a church. This should be sobering. And it should cause us to re-examine ourselves as individuals and as a church and see if all that we are and all that we do is motivated and animated by love for Christ, for one another, for our neighbors, and for the nations. What a fearful warning that by our lovelessness, we could forfeit our lampstand, attribution, affirmation, accusation, answer, admonition, and finally, assurance. Jesus never leaves us without a word of grace and peace. He never leaves us without giving us assurance. Verse 7, the last part, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Remember the promise that we mentioned from Jesus just a little while ago? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. If we are his, we will endure. And we will live eternally with him. He will hold us fast. But do we love him? Do we love him as our God? Do we love him as our King? Do we love him as our redeemer? Do we love him as our savior? Do we love him as the full word of God, the exact imprint of his nature and the radiance of his glory? Do we love him as our shepherd? Do we love him as our friend? Do we love Jesus? If we love Jesus because he has first loved us, We will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter from Jesus to a local church much like ours. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you knowing that You want our hearts. Let all we do and all we are be motivated and animated by our refreshed and renewed vision of who Jesus is and what He has done and what He will do. Lord, we need Your help. We need Your grace. Holy Spirit, we need Your presence and Your power. So move in us now, we pray, for Jesus' glory. Amen.